welcome to yet another edition of the Dice Are Screaming. Yay! Oh. Yes, it's Mike and Randy coming at you here. Yes, the toxic twins of gaming are back. Yep, <laughs> and bigger than ever. I'm toxic, he's twin. Wow. I want to be toxic. Oh, uh, you can be toxic next week. All right, cool. That sounds great. Uh, hey, it's uh, Tuesday. Yep. And we picked a topic that is more in line with the traditional D&D after last week's really enjoyable break, just chatting about something we truly love, which is books. Mm -hmm. uh, but now we're back in the meat and potatoes of old school gaming. Yep. With the topic of artifacts. Oh, yeah. Wading right up to our hips in it. Oh, well, and there's no other way to deal with artifacts. You, you're, even one is sometimes more than the party needed. Yep, and, you know, artifacts. Um, the much ballyhooed bugbear of old school gaming. You know, oh, don't give these things out lightly. Yeah, and well, to it. So... Yeah, woe betide the DM who accidentally releases more than a few of these into the campaign. However, there is much to be learned from the artifact section in the old school DM guide. Yep, and both new and old school approaches still apply equally here. Yeah, they, you'll notice that there are correlations between the original DM guide table of artifacts and many of the quirks, perks, and abilities of artifacts in other games and other systems today that, with enormous power, usually comes a catch, a price, something that makes it difficult to wield. And we owe that to the first edition DM guide, uh, to, you know, Gygax and crew. That DM's guide edition has had a permanent influence on the perception of artifacts in gaming. Right, and artifacts, like we talked about in Treasure previously, are an extrapolation of magic items. Now, a lot of times artifacts have plenty of drawbacks to them and make you kind of wary about engaging with them or even using them <laughs> casually. And the reason for that is because primarily artifacts are come from a legendary magic item that has now seeped into the lore of the world, so if you're running a homebrew campaign, a lot of times you'll end up making your own, but we're going to talk pretty much about the standard artifacts that such could be known, such things as the Ring of Gax, or the Axe of the Dwarvish Lords, the, the Rod, Rod of Seven, seven parts. parts. Yes, you were right there. Oh, yeah. Uh, the terrifying Wand of Orcus, uh, Baba Yaga's Hut, you know, the, these are just things that if you were there at the time, and you cracked open a DM's guide at, like, age 13, uh, you looked at that and you just were wowed, like, whoa, just, this stuff is so far out there, I've never even heard of things like this. Uh, it was a mind fry uh, for a lot of kids who were already, like, nosing their way into gaming, uh, and these were favorite rereads, stuff that you went back to again and again, and I want to read more about that. Uh, because they had a lot of lore associated with them. Yeah, Baba, or Baba Yaga's hut is, you know, like right out of actual legend. Yeah, whereas like the uh, Hand and Eye of Vecna is a <laughs> legend right out of uh, the world of Greyhawk, and the Sword of Kos also accompanies that. And much like the Baba Yaga's hut and Wanda Borcus, they're in the possession of very powerful extraplanar creatures that aren't going to just give them up. 
So, you know, you just can't go in and steal Orcus's wand because, well, he's going to come after you and he's a powerful demon lord of the undead and many, many other scary things. So, <laughs> with that in mind, when you engage in using artifacts, you definitely want to have a plan. Now, if you're just going to give them out willy-nilly, like, okay, you just found the Ring of Gax. Well, okay, sure, you can have that happen, but all artifacts and relics are tied to a particular style of campaign play, not a Monty Hall. Giving them out is obviously not forbidden or a sign of a lapse in judgment in the Game Master, but it's more a clue to how you want to tell a story or develop campaign play. Yeah, if you're particularly cruel as a DM... Uh... You know, you drop an artifact with some serious drawbacks into the hands of a party, and they will do plenty of harm to themselves without you looking like the guilty party. Mm -hmm. uh, much like the deck of many things, oh, which is, you know, like DM's favorite weapon. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can wipe a party with a deck of many things uh, in a couple of good rolls. But artifacts, Randy mentioned very specifically, you should have a plan. Uh, artifacts make great, oh, uh, what was the term for that? Uh, MacGuffins. Mm, yeah. You know, a highly desirable object which everyone is scrambling to get their hands on, uh, Maltese Falcon style. The classic artifacts of Burst Edition being terrific examples, like the, the hand and uh, eye of Vecna. Uh, also leading to humorous Comparisons like the the head of Vecna, uh, or was Vecna? It, I chopped my hand off immediately to put it, graft it on. Was Vecna a lefty or a righty? You didn't look. Oh crap! You didn't Come. look or ask. <laughs> yeah. So right off the bat, a lot of artifacts are seen by players as a way to screw with your player character, but that's not necessarily what they were for. What they were for was these drawbacks and curses and all the things that uh, the negative effects of them was to balance out some of their powers. And of course, none of these powers are easily found out. No identify spell, uh, not even legend lore will really touch on them or commune. Yeah, scrying yeah. an artifact is impossible. You cannot simply divine its location. You must follow rumors, word of mouth, eyewitnesses that managed to live, things like that. Uh, or you can make it publicly the property of somebody immensely powerful and evil. Uh, in which case, boy, you know, that's that's yeah, a challenge. Those uh, player characters, if, if they want to take that away and end the reign of said evildoer, they're going to have to face somebody wielding an artifact with all of its powers. So they'll, that might be the end of a campaign arc. Yeah. Uh, likewise, in the process of opposing somebody with an artifact that might justify a high-level party going on a quest to acquire one of their own, something to combat that power. Uh, that's the kind of circumstances that classically we have released artifacts into the game. Uh, most of the rest of the time, you know, we disregard them for lower-level campaigns because <laughs> we don't really hate our players that much. No, and, you know, <laughs> over the editions, they've kind of softened the harsher touch of artifacts and also included and expanded relics for various campaigns and uh, adventures and paths and story arcs. But we're not going to really touch on the negative aspects as much as how to play with them. 
Oh, I'm going to touch on the negative aspects. Oh, wow. I'm totally... Well, I, that's because you're a Satanist. So. I truly am, because if you go back and you look at the major malevolent effects... Acne? I already have that at 14. Yeah, and side effects table. Table 6. Oh, geez. User cannot touch or be touched by any even magical metal. Metal simply passes through his or her body as if it did not exist and has no effect. How weird is that? Your fighter just loves that he got his, uh, you know, muscly paws on the ring of Gax, and that happens to be the power you draw for a side effect. Ha, ha, ha. Good luck with the armor and sword there, champ. Yep. <laughs> but I don't want this anymore. You want to make sure that artifacts are usable. So if you make them so untouchable, then obviously players are going to be wise to be wary of it. But on to that point you have to have a certain style of play that allows the artifacts to come in, whether it's a political game or it's just exploring a dungeon and they finally find one. It changes everything in the campaign. And more importantly, a good look through the starting artifacts, we would just say the base load, baseline, excuse me, not base load, baseline of artifacts, you notice there are very few weapons or armor, or really any protective items. Yeah, it was really like Axe of the Dwarvish Lords, Mesa of Cuthbert, uh, Invulnerable Coat of Armed, and the Sword of Kos, you know, were like the, the big weaponry armor type stuff, and the rest was mostly these weird, unusual, like out of Like Mask, and... Oh, Kurath's Quill. And the Recorder of Yesin. Not to mention the Iron Flask of Tourney the Merciless, which just... I, Man, I, I feel like there was a story lurking behind that right, that I want to I read that. Yep, plus like the, you know, orb and scepter and crown of might. These are items that obviously uh, were part of some prehistory. So you need to start understanding your campaign world a little bit better and establishing the presence of these artifacts and the roles that they played, whether you're using the old DM's Guide or making up your own. Um, primarily, when you have an artifact interplay, Players uh, may dismiss it at first because some are innocuous. Like, for instance, the recorder of Yasin. Uh, you know, hey, what do you mean it's a piccolo? Well, <laughs> a musical instrument. Well, last time I touched a mandolin of the Bardic College, yeah. I got my gender changed and I took 80 points of damage. So I'm not touching another musical instrument easily. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, uh, yeah, it, wait a minute, I remember the recorder. It, it, didn't I, like, didn't we do a recital for that in, like, grade school? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the recorder of Yacind is a whole different story. Uh, I honestly admire the originality that came up in that first DM Guide edition. How they cobbled these together... Uh, I don't know how many were made at the last minute to fill in blanks or how many came out of uh, early campaigns from the original core group at TSR. I, I have no idea what the background is on this, but I look at them and they have been an inspiration to me uh, in artifact creation ever since because so many of them are things that you don't really think of as unusual. You might pass them by without ever having known better. Right, like Queen Alyssa's Marvelous Nightingale is another one. This little strange little clockwork-type bird that sings and, and it's various songs that you can evoke. 
you know, have various effects. And of course, the other thing about the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide, all the artifact powers were not detailed. And that was to prevent players from snooping through and already knowing, oh yeah, well I do this and cross my fingers and walk backwards three times in a circle. <laughs> oh. oh yeah, well I guess you uh, nullify the curse of the throne of gods. That was the original crew knowing full well that it's the nature of gamers to read. You know, we read the rule books. And that's going to happen. But they put in, very cleverly, the tool for the random generation of powers for the artifacts so that each time, each campaign, it's a little bit different. Uh, you can never pin it down and be absolutely sure, oh, we got this, I know what this does. Uh, it's not the same twice. So we'll never know exactly what it was like uh, at their table, right? you know, 40 years ago. But I certainly know what it was like when some of these have hit our tables uh, over the years. Uh, didn't I encounter a Tooth of Dal Bernar once? Yeah, we, we put that in. We've also had... Uh, Just one. One Tooth of Dal Bernar with a single useful power. And it was just kind of cool because, you know, you got a certain rep for packing an artifact on you. Yep, and it also was uh, attuned to the demon lady of Secubi. But, uh, uh, well, all right, yeah, that was the downside, was that, uh, you know, uh, a power of hell was cognizant of my existence uh, that had not been aware of it before. Suddenly, I was of interest. Yeah, somebody touched the tooth of Dal Bernard. But some of the artifacts, like the Rod of Seven Parts, easily lend themselves to an epic campaign for an endgame play rather than settle into uh, making keeps and strongholds and into a comfortable retirement. Now, the once an artifact is unleashed in the campaign world, it does change everything. And Mike is right to point out that when you have artifacts come out and their powers are starting to be manifest, other nations and powerful entities will start taking notice. So this does change your campaign a little bit, but nothing to fear there. You, since you're the one in control, you know what to do. Yeah, artifacts should not exist in a vacuum. The awareness that they're out in the world, once again, that they're within reach after having been rumored of and unknown, if somebody's carting them around town and is known to be the possessor of it, your characters are drawing attention. And that can add to campaign play. That becomes a challenge in and of itself. Well, all right, so you got it. Well, now you got to keep it because there's a lot of people who want it. Right, especially something like with the uh, Hand and Eye of Vecna, the cultists of Vecna will do anything to recover them. And the belief that if they recover them properly and do certain things, Vecna will return. Kind of like, hey, Voldemort. L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm going to sidestep that one cleverly and uh, move on to the next part. Like, there are some that lend themselves easily to campaign play. Rod of Seven Parts, the Axis Dwarvish Lords. Just saying. Kill them Horcruxes. Yep. And, of course, one of my personal favorite ones, the Sword of Cost. Jeez. Yeah, um, classic. The, uh, the, the powerful lieutenant who betrays you uh, with the very gift that you made for him, which, in turn betrays him because you're the one who made it and know he may not kill you with it. And guess what? This all-powerful butt-kicking sword I made you, the only person it can't hit is me. Yeah, and it's intelligent, has a will of its own. It's like Don Rickles with a migraine. Oh, 
Oh, I did a minor artifact uh, intelligence sword in a sandbox campaign. And I based the voicing for it off of uh, Captain Cold from The Flash, because that particular character's mode of speech was really good. I, the actor for that, is just he has kind of a rasp, uh, a whip of sarcasm, uh, a certain drollness, like he just, you know, devil-may-care attitude, uh, and he's a bad guy. It's not all bad, but he's pretty bad. Uh, and this sword was essentially a sociopathic warlord that had been stuck in a blade for the better part of uh, four or five centuries and really looked forward to being carted around and getting into battle. So periodically, since it had the power of speech, I would have it give outbursts where it was like, yeah, yeah, I'm saying, it's about time. Just stop talking. Stop talking to them. They, they don't care. You need to kill them. Mm -hmm. We're going to show them what it's like when I am unleashed. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, 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 walk it back, champ. Uh, uh, they, <laughs> they liked the sword's enthusiasm for battle. Uh, but when... Months later, it managed to charm a servant into obeying it, carrying it outside, and freeing the spirit so that he could walk amongst the living again. They had to go hunt him down because he was basically, they just let loose a complete monstrous serial killer. Uh, <laughs> uh, and they were very swift. The, the party was exceptionally swift about tracking his butt down because they really, they knew what I was capable of doing with uh, a character that was high level with a complete knowledge of the party uh, and months to prepare. <laughs> so, <laughs> they could not let him roam the world. Uh, they, they took care of that. But that's artifacts for you. Uh, a little, the appearance of a thing is not the reward itself. For a DM, the reward is how much you can add to your campaign and its uniqueness with just one item roll. Yeah, and as well as uh, touching on that point, just introducing one of the orbs of dragon kind can definitely change and make for an interesting in campaign just trying to keep those things away from those who would try to enslave the dragons, the dragons themselves, a very powerful part of the game. Hey, it is named Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. But the dragons themselves uh, form a almost elemental force of recognition beyond the game itself, you know, dragons, mysterious, powerful creatures of an elder age. And they do definitely evoke that. So, you know, any campaign that you have artifacts in, you're going to be richer for using them, but use it with care. And also, players don't always need to be using them. Just in the example I gave of the Orbs of Dragonkind, keeping it away from those who want to enslave the dragons and then gain them as a force that that particular orb is attuned to can be the basis for many, many games. So, you know, use them, but definitely don't let them run roughshod over your campaign either. If you're really unsure about using an artifact, it's best to just put it to the side until you have an idea for it. And also, they can remain dormant for quite a while, too, is the other thing. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly within the DM's purview to require an artifact to be uh, triggered by an event or a series of events 
Uh, like if it isn't washed in the river sticks, it doesn't work, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for a new user. So you, you can form any kind of legend you want that hinges the ability to use the item on some future event, thereby putting it in the player's possession, but not letting them run free with it. Like uh, also costs on the major powers of an artifact. Uh, wonderful recommendation from the old DM's guide right there in the first edition. Uh, things like a, you know, must sacrifice 10 to 60,000 gold pieces worth of gems and or jewelry to activate item for one day. 10 to 60,000 gold pieces. Uh, well, that player, now I know what I'm doing with my treasure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they may be packing some loot when they start using it, but uh, they're going to be broke before long. So, can somebody uh, spare me a couple of uh, thousand GP gems? Just a little short. <laughs> Use this power one more time. Uh, yeah, you know, knocking over small dungeons just to gather enough loot to keep it going. <laughs> uh, you can curb the excessive impact of artifacts with these techniques and still have them in a mid-rank to higher-level game without disrupting game balance. Right. Like I mentioned with the Orbs of Dragonkind, they can make an appearance and a quest for an entire campaign trying to keep them out of the hands of those who want to use them, Pornipurius or whatever reasons. But you can also have artifacts show up as a guest appearance in a campaign. That's right, like the Codex of Infinite Planes. Yeah, not one that uh, it doesn't tend to linger where it's found very long. Right, you may have to have to gain entrance to this part of your adventures or your quests. You may have to consult the Codex of Infinite Planes. And that can have a whole series of adventures just getting close to it and asking the possessor currently to use it for one brief moment. And yeah. again, it, it's not in your campaign, but it does make it more interesting. For instance, uh, all right, just off the cup here. Um, you've got characters who have to consult an item like that on a one-time basis. they got to track down the legends of where it's located. Uh, and, say for instance, you line the room with titans. You know, that it's a community of titans. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, giants who, and makes them good. You know, there's no reason to take it from them. Uh, a simple negotiation and a proper degree of sacrifice to them. Uh, quests or deeds that they need done. Yeah, do something for them, they let you consult the Codex of the Infinite Planes, and it doesn't wind up in the possession of the player characters, but it made an appearance and was a wonderful, mysterious thing to add. Uh, all without disrupting gameplay at all. Right. And, you know, more importantly, all of these artifacts carry a legend with them. Now, if you look through the old one, like uh, Queen Elizabeth's Marvelous Night Nightingale, um, you know, it was made by Zagig with Jorami, the goddess of volcanic activity, to... And it was inside Castle Greyhawk, as I understand it, uh, doing several things. It obviously bears that part of the campaign's hallmarks, and also left its thumbprint there. But it could show up in other campaigns and have a completely different purpose. So even though a lot of artifacts kind of are written, kind of scribbed in with the world of Greyhawk, they were not firmly placed there. They could exist in many places and many different play, planes. Um, things like Heward's Mystical Organ. Uh-oh, <laughs> double entendre right there. Oh. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yes, What's better than uh, roses on your piano? Tulips on your organ. Oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> I think we actually went under the audience's heads. Uh, hey, no, you're I, not the only one who can throw them out. But uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You actually deserve a shot there because, uh, you know, I am well known for abusing the dad joke. Uh, the Heward's Mystical Organ actually, like right there in the tail end of the description, um, <laughs> it, it references, you know, writing what tunes you like and making your players actually perform them on a piano or other instrument, uh, or making them hum them or sing them, yeah. uh, including contemporary tunes. Which Can I use a kazoo? Yeah, oh. you know, exactly. It, just making them do this as a stunt so that they can activate the artifact, uh, which I think is just great gameplay. Oh. Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, as we're paging through here, I just want to pause. Uh, the Invulnerable Coat of Iron leads into another thing. I always, um, I've had that show up for just one quest because it's possessed by the original person. They become armed themselves and while wearing it and perform good deeds, healing people and all that. But, because he's a big old paladin, but uh, they get to use it, and then after the quest has been fulfilled, it disappears. That's another good way to make use of an artifact when you have a particularly heinous foe that's presenting a great threat to all the peoples or that world. Artifacts tend to find their way into the people's hands who need them the most, especially the good ones. Yeah, and it's, it's a nice way to nerf the excessive power of an artifact long term. Uh, Hey, you, you got can to wear a plus five suit of chainmail that made you half invulnerable to everything in the world. Oh, and at least, you know, reference that, like, well, that's the character that saved the world. You know, you may not have that artifact now, but, you know. Yeah, if it disappears after its need is met and it's no longer needed, so it disappears. <laughs> so, when you use artifacts, that's, we've given some, uh, some good examples here, but don't be afraid to use them. A lot of DMs say that, well, you know, they open up to abuse. Yes. Left unchecked, they will ruin a campaign. But as we just said recently, these things tend to sort themselves out. Yeah, I like to just stick with the most common powers of artifacts when designing my own, uh, which is indestructibility, except by a special and specific means. Uh, that's number one. Uh, so whatever the item is, it cannot be destroyed. And a specific set of circumstances must be met, and you don't know. Number two, uh, uniform code of artifact creation, uh, is the non-detectability, non-identify, you know, magic slides off it like water off a duck's butt. You can't scry What an analogy the we just used. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a pretty picture there. Uh, you know, <laughs> non-moist duck butts. So, uh, <laughs> you cannot scry the location of an artifact. So, I've always kept that. I've stayed true to that element. And then beyond those two chief rules, everything else is subject to uh, whimsy at that point. You can just do anything you want with them. Even minor powers that have a limit on the number of times they can be used per day. And what's the real harm if an artifact has the status and charm of being an artifact? Oh, wow, it's a wonderful thing. It's so rare. It's so amazing. But its actual power is not much different than that of a standard magical item. Uh, you know, there's no harm in bringing something like that into gameplay. Yeah, especially if it does something unique or different, like that crossbow you found recently. Ah, that... uh, yes. 
that uh, negates... Dignity's barb. Dignity's barb, yep, that uh, negates cover. Yeah, or a percentage of it. I'm still pretty bitter because the, the party hid my IOU note. <laughs> I, my, you know, it's a lawful neutral priest of Avatar. Okay, he doesn't just filch things from wherever. Uh, yeah, you know, you know, I left a, a proper IOU. for you. It is. Uh, you know, it's not that I don't believe that it should be used. It's just that you know, you got to have a certain pro forma sensibility about your these character. Things. Is so humble. I, it's so charming. <laughs> but yes, please, you know, enjoy using artifacts. I think that in most oh, games, yeah, I spice up I, your game. I've never had a player ruin anything because, well, if they get too crazy with it, you can always pencil in something. If you see that it's being abused, you can always change it. It is not set in stone for you at all. Yeah, never forget your own power as the DM, uh, you know, to DMs. Never underestimate your own abilities. Uh, You exercise your own creativity and your own judgment. Uh, Don't necessarily even do the things we do. We're throwing out ideas here, but, uh, you know... Don't doubt yourself. Uh, whoever's out there DMing, put your spin on it. Uh, hit it out of the park. It could go horribly awry, or it could go way better than anything we've ever done. There's no way to know until you try. The best thing I can say about artifacts is they help bring your campaign to life with things of legend and lore. And those things that became artifacts were once normal items, but the legendary functions and deeds that were done with them made them indeed worthy of the title artifact so always remember that that it's a part of a story even if you're just running a loot and shoot and hack and smash game artifacts can often liven it up and change the pace of play for a while and they don't have to be permanent oh yeah and they don't have to you know be a absolutely fixed constant in a game Uh, but they sure do spice things up from time to time when you're familiar with the same old stuff. Uh, this is a, a breath of fresh air. Yep. And it was 35, 40 years ago when this book was published, and it still is now. Yep, and they give the game full of magical items and all kinds of wondrous things. They give a breath of fresh air, and they give you the ability to make what is now mundane and normal unique and fantastic again. So, keep that in mind, but uh, we're running on our time limit here, so we're going to wrap it up. So, we appreciate you sticking around, and we hope you enjoyed yeah. goofing off with us. We had a good time. Hope you did, too. And, uh, of course, as always, give us likes on that Facebook thing, and, uh, you know, drop by Twitter every once in a while and give me some heck, or Mike. <laughs> I'm at uh, Death and Gaming. that's D-E-T-H-A-N-D, Gaming. And I am VoxMatchI at... Magi Vox on yep. Twitter. Also on Instagram and Facebook at the Dicer Screaming. So here's to a good week. Hope you're enjoying it and stay safe out there and keep yourself in good favor with your dice because remember, may the dice always, always roll, roll in, in your, your favor. favor. That's We're it. out. See ya. <laughs>